And in fact, there are psychotherapists who will put addicts and alcoholics through um, a process of ritual ego death, ego sacrifice, in order to kind of rebirth their ego in a much healthier, more wholesome setting. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Pursuit. I'm your host, Ben Spangle. Today, we have a very, very special guest that I'm so excited to introduce to you. Some of you would be familiar with Dr. Evan Alexander, and, and some of you, this will be the first time you're hearing from him. And whether you're already familiar with his work or the first time hearing from him, this is going to be a special, special episode that I know you're going to want to listen to multiple, multiple times. Let me give you a little bit of background uh, on Dr. Alexander. I mean, first of all, he spent over 25 years as an academic neurosurgeon. I know worked at uh, Brigham and Women's Hospital for, I think, almost 15 years, Children's Hospital, Harvard Medical School in Boston. And what's so unique about his story is, you know, when you're a neurosurgeon, obviously you spent you know, hundreds and hundreds of patients that you would have saw all different kinds of levels of consciousness, alterations to it. And and, and I know because I'm very familiar with your work that up until that point, especially from early 2000 to 2008, your understanding was that the brain generates consciousness and, and mind and spirit. And then for those of you that don't know his story, we'll dive into a little bit. Late 2008, he enters into a coma by a rare, really rare bacterial infection, and which then led him to the, the work that he's created in the last 12 years, I guess now, 13 years now. And uh, you know, he's the author of three books now, Proof of Heaven, The Map of Heaven. You know, he was co-author with his partner, Karen Newell, Living in a Mindful Universe. And I mean, we're, we're talking to someone that knows a lot about the subject of consciousness. He's been on so many different TV shows, whether it was Dr. Oz to Super Soul Sunday with Oprah to ABC's TV to 2020. I mean, many, many more. I, I don't even know how many interviews you've done, so many. And his books are available in 40 countries worldwide, translated in over 30 languages. So, Dr. Eben, hey, so excited to have you. Thanks for your time today. Well, Ben, thanks so much for having me on. It's great to be here with you, with you today. It's really great to have you. Um, why don't we, for those that don't know your story, I mean, I give you a brief one, but can we go back to maybe 2008 and walk us through a little bit of that? Sure. I, it's important to point out at that time I was 54 years old. Uh, as you mentioned in the introduction, I had spent my whole life basically honing a very conventional materialist scientific worldview, uh, subscribed to the notion that the brain creates consciousness and that the physical world is, is all that exists. Uh, and then I had this profound experience uh, that completely defied every bit of that. Uh, the nuts and bolts of that experience is it came on me very quickly, 4.30 in the morning, waking up with severe back pain, severe headache. Um, and within uh, three hours or so, I was uh, having a, a, a major uh, motor seizures, uh, you know, epileptic fits. I was uh, deep in coma, hauled off to the uh, uh, emergency room, and, and that's where they were smart enough to do a lumbar puncture, and they figured out very quickly I had a severe case of a gram-negative bacterial meningoencephalitis. That's really about the worst kind of bacterial meningitis you can have. Uh, over 90% fatal and just kind of routine uh, numbers. And um, they, they estimated when I started that week, I had probably a 10% chance of surviving. By the end of seven days in that coma on a ventilator on three powerful intravenous antibiotics uh, on a medical, in a medical ICU bed, 
of estimated I was down to a 2% chance of coma. Wow. And it was a few hours later that I actually started to come back to this world. But in many ways, they were right. When I came back, my brain was absolutely wrecked. I didn't even recognize loved ones at the bedside, my mother, my sisters, my sons. I had no idea who they were. All I knew was this extraordinary journey I had just been on. I didn't even have any memories of Evan Alexander's life from before coma. All that returned over weeks and over about two months uh, completely, a complete return. But, you know, initially when I woke up, I was uh, an absolute wreck. Um, and there's a medical case report that documents all that. It came out in September 2018 in the Journal of Nervous and Mental Diseases. And those doctors who reviewed my case were not involved in my case, but they were fascinated by my level of recovery. And in fact, when the peer reviewers challenged them, how do you explain this case? This absolutely looks like somebody's going to die. Not anybody who would ever have a full recovery. They explained it by saying I had the NDE and that's what allowed me to have a miraculous recovery. So kudos to a lot of modern medical scientists to realize how important that is because they've seen other cases like that. And just very briefly, the kind of spiritual content deep in my coma, important to remember, one of the most important hallmarks of my NDE that differentiates it from others is that I was amnesic. I had no memories of Evan Alexander's life. And uh, it took me a while to figure all that out, but uh, I think it occurred because that helped to answer some very deep questions about memory and about consciousness that had to do with the setting that I had um, documented medical evidence that my neocortex, the human part of my brain had been decimated uh, you know, full thickness destruction in all eight lobes of my brain. So there was no place where modern neuroscience would put the details of conscious awareness. They absolutely demand some part of the neocortex work. Mine was not. Mm -hmm. uh, the journey I had uh, covered three major realms. It all began in what I call the earthworm's eye view, a very primitive course on the responsive realm. But I was ushered up through this kind of portal of light and music, uh, kind of a wormhole that led me up into this ultra real gateway valley. Uh, it was much more real than this world. That's the kind of shocking thing. This world is dreamy and uh, dreamlike and murky compared to that ultra reality. Uh, that's what most people who have NDEs describe is a world that is so rich with detail and, and dripping with meaning. Uh, and, and you come back, you never forget it. I've had people come up to me and share something and they say, well, it happened to me more than 50 years ago. I've never told anybody this, but, and then they'll share their similar story with me. And that's one of the gifts from my doing all this is that other people share their stories with me, which has helped me just confirm the reality of my experience and what it says about the fundamental nature of human existence. Now, it turns out that Gateway Valley, uh, that had a lot of the deep messages about all of this. Uh, I had a, uh, I was a speck of awareness on a butterfly wing. There were millions of butterflies. There were thousands of souls dancing in the meadow down below. Uh, I mean, I describe it all. It's a very extensive journey uh, with uh, many kind of packaged messages and, and learnings in it. Uh, it turns out in that Gateway Valley, uh, there was uh, this uh, spiritual companion, really, this young woman who was with me, accompanying me on the journey. And her identity was actually a deep mystery to me. Uh, uh, when I first came back from coma, but I solved that mystery, as I tell in the book, Proof of Heaven, uh, four months after my coma, when I received a picture in the mail of my birth sister. I was adopted. I had not met my birth family in this life until about a year before my coma. 
But that birth sister had passed over way back in 1998, two years before I even found out she existed. Uh, it's a very long story, but it has to do with my adoption, uh, with uh, kind of my sense of being worthy of love. That was, you know, as an adoptee, I kind of uh, uh, had deep questions from the earliest days of my existence. I was put up for adoption when I was 11 days old. Mm. And uh, anyway, that's a, that's a huge part of the story. It was not the end of the story, though, because in fact, uh, in that beautiful Gateway Valley, uh, it was all there was tremendous joy and festivity, all being fueled because up above were these swooping orbs of angelic choirs, emanating chants and anthems and hymns that would just thunder through my awareness. And in in that environment, in that uh, loving, infinitely healing kind of God force level of that realm. I then used the music of those angelic choirs to ascend to higher and higher levels uh, and saw all of, of the material realm and, and our four-dimensional space-time collapsing down, then all of the spiritual realms and their different orderings of causality uh, in what is called, uh, uh, what I call deep time, because earth time is not a primary ordering of events in those spiritual realms. I mean, if you think about it, life reviews, which would commonly occur in that uh, Gateway Valley, uh, in a life review, you realize that time is, is presented here as a fiction because you relive, you re-experience some of the most uh, important aspects of your life uh, from the perspective of others around you. That's what a life review is. Uh, so you realize when you're there, you're out completely outside of this concept of, you know, the plodding along of earth time in the earthly realm. When you have all those events presented to you in very real fashion, but depending on the meaning they convey about your life and not constrained by any kind of, you know, distance through time or anything like that. Anyway, I ended up in what I call the core realm. Uh, that was the, the highest I went in my journey where all of, uh, you know, the higher dimensional multiverse had been compressed into this oversphere as part of the teaching lessons. I mean, it all sounds just amazing and kind of like, how can you relate to this from an earthly perspective? That's right. one of the problems is our language is great for describing a trip to Disney World, but our language is, is horribly inadequate to describe these journeys. That's why people often say you can't put it into words. They're ineffable. But that's why it's so important that millions of other people have had the same or similar journeys as I have, because that is what is waking this world up ultimately, is that this is not some unusual, you know, super normal thing. It's actually part of normal human existence. I mean, even this weekend, we're, we're hearing stories from family. When I was up visiting uh, Karen, my partner's uh, family in Maryland, uh, beautiful stories of people living exactly this. That is, one of her sisters-in-law lost a younger sister a year ago. Uh, suddenly, unexpectedly, the mother of uh, two teenage children, and she she died from a pre-existing heart condition, uh, just a sudden death. And and yet this other sister who is still with us uh, was reporting to us this week in these beautiful experiences she'd had of communication with her departed sister. Mm. And it just shows me how common, I mean, these things happen all the time, every day around the world. And yet materialist neuroscience tries to tell you they're just hallucinations. Right. That they're wishful thinking, that they're, um, you know, that don't pay any attention to them. They're a trick of the dying brain and things like that. Well, no, they are not. They are absolutely fundamental parts of our understanding of our true nature. 
And it's a very uh, refreshing revolution emerging from the science of consciousness. Mm. Um, but that that's all something that has emerged from my realization. And again, I think the essence of my uh, experience and why it was so important, certainly to the scientific community, was just all the documented medical evidence that showed I should have had any experience at all. And yet I had the most extraordinary, ultra real and memorable detailed experience I've ever had in my life. How did that happen when my brain was very uh, well documented to be horribly damaged to a point where it should not be able to construct consciousness at all? Hmm. And so coming back from that coma, uh, it took me about two months to really recover. And in fact, the memories that I had after two months of recovery were superior and more detailed than the memories I'd had before coma of early life events. And that became obvious to me in various conversations with family and close friends about uh, very distant early uh, kind of events in my life. Uh, but the, it, we discuss all this in our book, Living in a Mindful Universe, how memory and consciousness itself are not created by the brain at all. The yeah. brain is a filter that allows consciousness in, but consciousness itself is primordial. And that is one of the most extraordinary lessons coming from all this. And it's a very refreshing and liberating uh, to us human beings because it, it tells us we're much more than just these physical bodies living a birth to death existence with no real purpose. There's much more going on here. And that's kind of the deep message of this, this kind of journey as I share and, and other NDEs and similar experiences. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. And, and by the way, everybody, you're, you're going to want to make sure you get, if you haven't read it, get a copy of Proof of Heaven so you can read the whole story. I was, I was telling Eben beforehand as we were chatting, I mean, it, it made a profound impact in my life and especially on my wife's life as well, where it really opened her up more than ever to the idea of we are so much more than this, this physical body, this physical experience. And I think what's so special about what you've done, and I think probably why so many people have reached out to you you know, oh my God, I had this happen to me 50 years ago and it's still, I've never told anyone, but it's still clear as clear yeah. as day is especially in the Western part of the world here, we're, we're so focused on the analytical side of our, our personality, right? I need, I need proof. I need evidence and it's got to be documented. And, and so much of what you've done, A, coming from a heavily academic background, but then on top of that, you know, literally being a neurosurgeon, I mean, working with brains all the time, I think it's really opened up that, okay, here's someone that is so academically trained and knows more about the brain than the majority of people ever will. And yet you've opened the door for that. That's only part of it. That's just, that's just the beginning. Well, I think that is an important aspect of it. And, you know, I know, I know from having been where I've been in this experience that there are millions of other souls out there like me who are just, you know, wow, amazed, shocked, uh, kind of enlivened and, and want to share, share the story. Uh, I mean, I can tell you most people are, are not so willing to share it because it's so unexpected and, and kind of strange and kind of, uh, it's like the first time they've ever truly been alive. It's really a shocker. Mm. Uh, and yet coming back to this world, they realize if they share that with people, uh, you know, somebody might think they're crazy and some doctor might try and put them on antipsychotic medications and stuff like that. Right. And that I think is one of the biggest, um, values of, of proof of heaven and this whole kind of uh, NDE movement is to help people realize, no, these are very natural experiences. Uh, they're part of who we are. 
uh, just because our materialist science has been uh, far too bleak and paltry in its uh, presentation of hypotheses about how the brain and mind connect in ways that would allow all this doesn't mean that it's not real. And, and that's where you find uh, it's, it's kind of interesting in the modern science of consciousness studies. You basically have a lot of scientists who study consciousness and they realize what's going on here and how extraordinary it is. They're not trying to explain it away or dismiss it. The people who don't really study the evidence, uh, the science, scientists in that field, are the ones saying, well, it's impossible by our theoretical models. Mm. So it can't be true. Mm. Well, guess what? That just means your theoretical models are far too weak to even be tossing around. So drop them. Start working on something that does work. And in fact, there are uh, theoretical bases that are arising in, in modern philosophy of mind and neuroscience, uh, quantum physics, uh, that do put all this together and do take it to the next level. It's what we um, did in our book, Living in a Mindful Universe. We painted uh, the, the objective idealism as an answer that works very well, where you look at the primacy of consciousness uh, and how it could be influencing all of the emergent universe. And that really flips the coin on materialist science because a lot of materialist uh, neuroscientists would try and tell you we don't even have free will. Uh, they think consciousness is the epiphenomenon of uh, all the uh, uh, chemical reactions and electron fluxes in the brain, but they would tell you pay it no mind because consciousness isn't even uh, isn't even real. That's they go so far as to say that. Whereas in fact, the flip side is the only thing anybody's ever experienced is the inside of their own consciousness. So if we cannot explain that, we're really not explaining anything about the nature of reality. Uh, and that's where I think uh, this revolution is so important because uh, it really opens us up to a much fresher way of looking at things and one where our free will actually is very much alive and well. And I think uh, to even be putting out there that we don't have free will, uh, you know, a la the uh, materialist neuroscientists who are very strict observers of materialism and physicalism uh, is extremely dangerous uh, because it, it kind of lets us believe we're off the hook for any choices we make in life. And I'd say, in fact, one of the deepest lessons of near-death experiences and of this uh, kind of expansion of the science of consciousness is we are very responsible for our choices. Uh, we play a tremendous role in how this world evolves, you know, the kind of history and destiny of humankind, uh, I believe, is written with a free will of the participants and not just some random chaotic uh, mechanism mechanistic uh, flux that some of the materialist neuroscientists would claim it is, but something that really has meaning and purpose uh, underlying all that's happening there. And I think that's where uh, this new worldview can really help us take responsibility for our choices. And in many ways, that allows us uh, to much more robustly define our emerging reality. Mm, yeah, so good. It, uh, everybody, by the way, for uh, if you want a real deep dive into what we're talking about, I, I know I talked about uh, Evan's original book, Proof of Heaven, but living in a mindful universe is phenomenal because the whole first section of it is really, I love it because it's a lot, it's a lot of history of what we understand of consciousness and the, the different avenues of it. And so much of there where you've got that whole section on quantum physics and, and it's amazing. And even going back to, I look at some of Einstein's what he's talked about, where as the the deeper he dove into this, the more he, I don't remember the exact quote, but he, the only thing he could come to was in the belief of God or unified field, right? Right. It's, well, it's, it's, I think uh, Einstein um, would have a, a fairly different view now. He passed over in April of 
1955. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, immediately thereafter, he could have given us a much richer version of a unified field theory. Uh, maybe we can get it from the afterlife. You know, maybe someone can harvest that from Einstein. Yeah. Could happen. Those kind of things do occur. That's right. That's right. I question for you. Let, let's say someone's listening to this. This is all completely foreign to them. Never heard any of these ideas whatsoever. We've talked a lot about consciousness as a whole. And I think most people are at least somewhat familiar. But if, if you could give them, a, I guess, a, 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 in the best way we can, a simple definition of what is consciousness, how would you go about explaining that? Absolutely. That's a great question. And I would say it, it's very simple. It's nothing complex. Consciousness is just our awareness uh, as a being that we exist. You know, as Rene Descartes said, I think, therefore I am. Well, I would modify that very slightly and just say, I think, and because I'm aware of those thoughts, I am. Uh, and in fact, that it, it actually brings up a very interesting kind of differential here, because often when Karen and I give workshops on all of this, we talk about that linguistic brain, the little ego voice mm-hmm. that lives inside our left temporal lobe. You know, that's why we call it the dominant hemisphere, uh, uh, you know, is because that's where language lives. Uh, and our language kind of defines itself as this major player. But the, our linguistic voice and that kind of sense of running stream of thoughts in our head, uh, it, it's about that much brain trying to tell you uh, that it really runs the show. And it turns out the first step I do in meditation is I la- allow that linguistic voice to make a statement, a request, you know, a question, what have you. But then that voice goes into time out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in our modern world, we're so used to the idea of using that little voice, that linguistic brain and rag- rational logical thinking, et cetera, to can take us to uh, a deeper understanding. What I'm telling you now is that ego voice, because it, it's deeply tied with your e- ego. In fact, your ego pretty much runs that little voice in your head. Um, and so it's very important to realize your conscious awareness is not that voice. The conscious awareness, though, is the deep magic and mystery of consciousness. Uh, and, and I would say it's actually uh, a layer of the universe. It's a layer of information, assimilation, and integration that has always existed. In fact, it pre-existed the Big Bang. Uh, and because sentient beings can access that, uh, people made the mistake of thinking that consciousness evolved in humans, you know, over the many millions of years of evolution. But in fact, uh, conscious awareness has been there forever. And it's been, I would say it's uh, accessed by plant and animal life. And uh, it's part of understanding how idealism answers so many questions and understanding how that consciousness can be at the tip top of the pile and that humans are only borrowing. We didn't create it. It didn't evolve through us. But it's uh, the mental layer of the universe uh, is something that becomes very clear to people in quantum physics. You can go back in journey, uh, the journal Nature, a uh, very esteemed scientific journal Nature, 2005, Richard Kahn Henry, who was the head of astrophysics, or he was a professor of astrophysics at Johns Hopkins, wrote a beautiful one-page essay, The Mental Universe. And he makes it very clear how quantum physics has shown us that the material universe is really not there except for the mental presentation of it. Yeah. Uh, and that is deeply true. When, when people get right down to the nuts and bolts of all this, you realize the only thing you've ever experienced is the inside of your own conscious awareness. And to sit here and think that everything around me is 
the naked reality I'm trying to discern is just not true. That's what quantum physics tells us in a very deep fashion that, that the observer uh, has this unique kind of relationship with the universe um, that allows for those observations, but it is not, it does not fit. It is just the brain in a, a physical body kind of observing the physical world around it. That's where entanglement and some of the other really deep mysteries of quantum physics start to challenge our kind of common sense, everyday notions of this reality. But when you blend that with neuroscience, with uh, healing in medicine, with placebo effect, with spontaneous remission of uh, uh, cancers and things like that, you start finding that our free will is very powerful uh, and has a way of absolutely determining that emergent reality. And we start to realize that all of it is dependent on kind of us, on our uh, existence as souls, and that we do have influence that goes far beyond what we would normally think to be the limits of our abilities as we kind of explore this uh, kind of deeper richness of the fundamental nature of consciousness. All the examples of non-local consciousness from uh, parapsychology, things like telepathy, right. precognition, remote viewing, out-of-body experiences, distance healing, the power of prayer, all of these things start to invoke this kind of universal consciousness that we all share and show the power of it. And that's where I think humanity is shifting very dramatically in the next few decades uh, to a, a great uh, enhancement of our uh, kind of conception of what our powers are to influence our lives and basically the emergent reality for all of humanity. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think there's so much right now that there really is a, a much broader awakening than you know, maybe not ever, but certainly in a long time where even stuff as anyone that's, if you listen to our podcast for a while, we've talked a lot about the law of attraction and just this whole idea of thoughts creating reality. That's ultimately what we're talking about is the, is consciousness. Right. And to, to the most simple form, I think just the idea of this, if, if you're unsure of the idea of maybe a, a unified field or a universal consciousness or universal mind or oneness, I think one of the greatest examples of how everything's connected, we've, everyone's experienced this, no matter what you think of someone and they call you right then and there, they shoot right. you a text message right then and there. I was in a meditation the other day and I had this thought come to me about a, a course I wanted to do with a friend of mine. I get out of my meditation and I go on Instagram. She had sent me a message during my meditation about the exact same thing. Right. Well, that, you know, that's what uh, Carl Jung, of course, referred to as a synchronicity. Uh, and he wrote about that extensively. And uh, in fact, he collaborated with one of the main founders of quantum physics, Wolfgang Pauli, mm. uh, to come up with their conjecture about how all this psychophysics could actually work. So Carl Jung was deeply aware of kind of the mysteries of quantum physics in the mid 20th century. And likewise, they knew of his work. And synchronicities were one of the most powerful concepts he came up with that shows a degree of connection at that mental layer. And by definition, synchronicities are two events that you cannot uh, connect through any kind of materialist causal chain, you know, of A to B to C to D, uh, to link the events together. And there, there's no way to connect them in this notion of synchronicity. And yet they have a deep meaning of connection, just like you explained just now of, of thinking of your friend and then getting the text message on the, on the topic on your mind. It just so happened to be on their mind too. And that's where the synchronicity uh, starts to show this unification through mind, through consciousness, that mm -hmm. we are really connected there. We may not feel connected physically, but yes, in the, in the mental realm, the mental layer, we are in many ways connected with the entire universe. And it's really up to us 
to kind of explore how powerful and facile those connections can be. But the, the kind of event that you talk about are things I hear about all the time from people. These synchronicities can be quite shocking, uh, quite uh, stunning, especially I hear a lot of them in connection with after-death communications and deathbed visions, things like that, uh, where people have very powerful reconnection experience with loved ones who've left the physical world. Um, that often comes in that kind of a, a flavor, like a synchronicity. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. I, I want to talk a bit about this idea because you experienced it. I mean, as you mentioned, your neocortex was decimated. Um, I, I, I don't know this. I'm, I'm, maybe you know the answer to this. What would be the likelihood in a scenario like that, that someone could have a full recovery as you did? You mean in a case like mine? In a case like yours, yeah. Well, according to the case report and right. Dr. Uh, Serbi Khanna, Lauren Moore, and Dr. Bruce Grayson were the three physicians involved in review of my medical records. Uh, and uh, according to them, um, it, it's just extremely low. I mean, I, I've been on interviews with Bruce Grayson. He's, he said much less than 1%. So, I mean, it really... Uh, and to me, that was the haunting thing, you know, as I was recovering from this illness over those months after my coma. And I started going back to the hospital, reviewing my medical records, talking over my doctors, going through all those neurologic exams, going through the scans. It wasn't lining up at all. It was very haunting because I knew I was recovering completely. But that was in a way that absolutely defied the expectation of any physician in the modern era looking at those medical records. It really just doesn't work. I mean, and, and uh, as I said earlier, the, the advantage was that the peer reviewers at a Journal of Nervous and Mental Diseases respected these doctors as knowing what they were talking about. They knew of other cases of NDEs yeah. where extraordinary healing had happened, miraculous healing. You can use the word miraculous because it's that absolutely unusual. Although that's not a very good scientific term, it kind of tells people how unexpected this recovery is. And yet, in the setting of near-death experiences, which are very profound spiritual journeys that are ultra-real, yes, of course, you can have healing that completely defies modern Western uh, medical expectations. Right. Uh, and likewise, it goes beyond just the NDEs. If you go to noetics.org, the Institute of Noetic Sciences website, put in the search term, spontaneous remission, you'll uncover a book that they published in 1995. It's been out of print, but luckily they're rebuilding uh, the data set with modern data, 25 more years of data beyond the 1995 data. But even then they had 3,500 cases, uh, including a lot of cases of, of more than a thousand people who had cancer who healed far beyond the expectations of any medical treatment they received. Uh, and, and likewise for infections and other things. So when you go through that database, you start to realize placebo effect is just the beginning. We have tremendous power to heal ourselves uh, and to really kind of love ourselves because that healing originates in this uh, deep love. And it's not kind of a warped little um, childish ego type of self-love as much as a love of the higher soul, the soul that is here over multiple lifetimes, the soul that uh, can easily love and see the win-win situations with all others. Not, you know, it's escaping that little prison of the ego is much of what I'm talking about here. And, and often like in addiction and alcoholism work, you find the ego is kind of the culprit. 
And in fact, there are psychotherapists who will put addicts and alcoholics through um, a process of ritual ego death, ego sacrifice, in order to kind of rebirth their ego in a much healthier, more wholesome setting. That's all I'm really talking about here is uh, kind of growing beyond our little ego voice and its little ego concerns and recognizing that we have an inner observer that is in many ways connected with the universe. That's what we access in deep uh, centering prayer, uh, in meditation, things like that. We get in touch with that. And that's what can truly allow us to grow into the souls we came here to be uh, and leave those petty little egos, ego concerns and the travesty of those ego concerns, including addictions and, uh, and alcoholism, et cetera, mm-hmm. but to become much more of the soul we came here to be. That's really the deeper lesson. And it, it does involve reflection. It involves going within mind. And once you realize the mind or your consciousness is not being created between your ears in a three and a half pound gelatinous mass floating in a warm, dark bath, but yeah. that in fact your consciousness can in- incorporate the entire universe and all of eternity. Our mind has tremendous power to kind of uh, model ideas and kind of model realities and, and take us to a deeper understanding. Uh, and by exploring consciousness, we start to realize just how powerful, refreshing, and liberating that process can be. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think you, your story, and you know, I wasn't familiar with that work by Noetics there, but spontaneous remission, it, it really does go to show us how little we know at this stage about, I guess we're learning more and more, but the, the power of consciousness and you know, spontaneous right. th- things that we can't explain with modern science yet. Right. Um, but just because we can't explain it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. <laughs> right. Well, the, in fact, I would say it's the only thing that exists. But that's one of the issues is it's so close to us. Right. It's so close. It's like asking the fish what it's like to be swimming in the water. What water? I mean, most fish don't think about it. It's where they are all the time. There's never anything different. Likewise, with consciousness. We're always uh, in this thing we call consciousness. Now, one important distinction I would like to make, though, you asked a little while ago, ago <clears throat> to define consciousness. Mm-hmm. And I, I need to elaborate that uh, any discussion of consciousness, you need to acknowledge that there is basically this theater of consciousness, but that it relies heavily and interacts deeply with a lot of unconscious material mm-hmm. uh, that is available to your mind. And, and so we're aware of many things but it turns out that our awareness actually goes beyond that in ways that are a little hard to understand. Uh, but they reveal to us this deep kind of substratum that is part of our consciousness. And yet, mysteriously enough, it's not always right there ready for presentation and acknowledgement. Hmm. And uh, that's an important distinction is, is kind of the role of the unconscious. Uh, and, and in fact, it's, it's fascinating. I've recently been reading some papers on genius, you know, the, the very uh, phenomenon of genius level thinking in, in certain people mm-hmm. um, and found this beautiful idea from Frederick W.H. Myers, who was a brilliant investigator in the late 1800s, died in 1901. But he really, in many ways, was the father of this whole movement of understanding the depth of uh, primacy of consciousness. But he had this notion that it was actually the level of dynamic interplay between consciousness and unconscious processes that allowed for genius to manifest. So in other words, the very definition of genius was just someone who was very facile at allowing their conscious and unconscious material to kind of interplay in their mind. And I think he was really onto something very deep and 
profound about uh, the nature of wisdom, wisdom and of deep understanding and creativity of thought, uh, this whole notion. And that's why Karen and I often teach in our meditation workshops uh, these uh, techniques for going deep into that unconscious material. Uh, because through, uh, and people who want to learn more, go to sacredacoustics.com. That's Karen's website. I use sacred acoustics for meditation an hour to a day. I've been doing that for more than 10 sure. years now. Very powerful way to return to my NDE and also to develop a lot of my thinking on the nature of the brain-mind relationship, the nature of consciousness, nature of reality. Uh, I've spent using sacred acoustics, binaural beat brainwave entrainment to get deep into those states. And just to kind of cut to the chase, the reason we think it works, and we discuss this in detail in Living in Mindful Universe, but it has a lot to do with this profound effect of binaural beats that is slightly different audio frequencies to the two ears presented through headphones, like 100 hertz in this ear, 100 cycles per second, 104 hertz to this would give give me a four hertz of sensation in my brain. And that's being generated down in the, in the lower brainstem. And I think that's where this technique has so much power to uh, liberate our conscious awareness is because it's uh, using the slow left-right oscillation in the lower brainstem to allow your consciousness to be set free from the normal processes mm. where your consciousness is involved in this kind of loop of activity between the brainstem, which 40 times per second fires ignition uh, signals up to the thalamocortical loops. I don't want to get into some boring neuroscience lecture, but the upshot is these binaural beats can be very powerful at liberating your conscious awareness completely from the here and now, the brain and the body. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that was something recognized by investigators in the 20th century who found that binaural beat brainwave entrainment could enhance out-of-body experiences, could enhance remote viewing, the ability wow. to discern information at a distance, all these things were enhanced by these binaural beat brainwaves uh, entrainment. And that is something I've used to great effect uh, daily uh, for the last decade in trying to explore my own consciousness. And that, from what I understand about that too, everything you just explained, the other thing that's happening, if I'm correct, is essentially we're, we're lowering our, or we're changing our brainwave frequency, correct? Basically, we're going from maybe beta type thinking to alpha and then... What we're, yeah, what we're trying to do is drive the dominant modulation of, of, of neocortical activity yeah. uh, down into that low uh, kind of theta and delta range, you know, the, right. the eight hertz down, six hertz down to three hertz, you know, that's exactly, and Karen has some teaching videos and explanatory information on sacredacoustics.com to help people understand that, but you're uh, in many ways exactly right. And what we're coming to realize is this kind of modulation and, uh, a kind of uh, harmonization of of activity in, in the hemispheres tends to uh, diminish their contribution to the information processing that becomes available to consciousness. And it's basically by kind of numbing down that whole process of neocortical contribution to consciousness and kind of monotonizing it with this regularity of binaural beat brainwave entrainment that we're allowing that conscious awareness to break free. Uh, and it's a pretty extraordinary phenomenon. So uh, yeah. I highly advise people to check it out. There's a free 20-minute OM file on sacredacoustics.com. Listen with headphones. Look at some of the training videos she has on there, all available for free. Uh, and you'll start seeing where all this is going and what all the excitement is about. Wonderful. Sacredacoustics.com. Uh, go, go check that out. 
Yeah, because I, I think a lot of that, and whether it be through that, whether it be through deep meditation, is I think what's really happening is not to confuse the two because they're very separate consciousness and the conscious mind. But essentially, we're, we're quieting the conscious mind effectively to, to allow. Right, exactly. Well, when you think about it, normally we think about our conscious mind, our brain, physical brain, our physical body, and all of that being engaged here in this physical universe. Right. Um, uh, aside from the fact that we're discovering that all of this presentation in many ways is kind of made up within mind. Right. Um, you know, it's, a, it's an important thing to realize, yes, that our conscious awareness can be liberated from that kind of sense of here and now, uh, just like it's liberated in dreams, li liberated in psychedelic experiences. But in many ways, this is going much deeper because, for example, the psychedelics are only influencing some serotonin receptors in the neocortex. So they're providing a very mild kind of modulation of your sensing of reality, uh, enabling you to thin the veil and be aware of other things going on in that mental universe uh, that, you know, are relevant to you. But this is uh, uh, when you when you actually then go way down into the lower brainstem and the circuits that arose more than 300 million years ago before mammals even evolved. I mean, those circuits are very powerful at engaging very primitive aspects of consciousness and basically getting us out of the here and now in the sense of body and uh, in this, this aspect of, of part of the physical universe, because the physical universe has been kind of dreamt up by that mental layer. But ultimately, uh, you know, the, the, where some quantum physicists get very confused is they think this is all bottom up causality from subatomic particles, from quarks, photons, electrons, and all their interplay at the atomic and subatomic level. And they assume that somehow all of those natural laws applied to that material gives us the events of human lives. But that is not true. There is a top-down causal principle. And, and in quantum physics, I would steer people, for example, to George F.R. Ellis. He's a South African mathematician who's written extensively about top-down causality uh, in, in quantum, quantum mechanics. And uh, I think a lot of that is very applicable to this notion of the mental universe and to objective idealism as the best explanation. That's where uh, in Living in a Mindful Universe, we go a long way towards connecting those dots. Uh, in a lot of our recent talks, I, I basically have moved beyond some of my quantum physics discussion in that book uh, yeah. to promoting Carlo Rovelli's relational interpretation of quantum physics, which is a, a very a powerful step. It's very bare bones interpretation of quantum physics, but especially when uh, uh, you supplement that with Bernardo Castrop's metaphysics, something he's a big supporter of our book, Living in a Mindful Universe. We've endorsed uh, his work, especially his uh, most recent book, uh, The Mind of the World. Uh, and all of this information kind of dovetails and leads into a similar mindset of understanding the primacy of consciousness, the role of the brain as a filter that allows that consciousness in. But uh, all of this discussion allows us to take the material of near-death experiences, shared-death experiences, which are just like in the ease, but they happen in people who are physiologically normal and healthy, normally the loved one of someone who's leaving the physical world. Uh, you know, all of these things, after-death communications, deathbed visions, all of these start to become much more real and understandable, explicable, and contribute to our understanding of our own lives with these bigger models of consciousness that this whole science of consciousness movement of the current era is trying to elaborate. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. I, I love, uh, 
I love this, what's going on. And it's just, it's an exciting time to be alive. I think it's, <laughs> you know, just as we're exploring deeper and deeper into this. We, yeah, we, we, very exciting. It is very, so we, we've covered a lot of detailed stuff. Uh, and again, if, if I'm listening to this, I'm not familiar with any of this work. It can be quite heavy at times. How do we bring it all back? So with everything we've talked about, how does this help the everyday person? So if I'm listening and I'm saying, hey, I'm not even fully sure I understand everything. How can I start to apply some of this? Well, I think the best way to do it is to start doing, start exploring mind. If you don't already have a practice of meditation um, and a daily uh, or at least a frequent routine, uh, then I would suggest sacredacoustics.com. Now, sacred acoustics does not work for everyone. Some people listen to it a few times and they're not really sure what all the magic is about, but a lot of other people uh, uh, try it out and they find it extremely relaxing. Um, and so I would advise people to, to, um, focus on this, realize, uh, you can certainly do some reading to learn a lot more about it. Living in a mindful universe is a great book, uh, for starters. I, I was, uh, recently, uh, re, uh, introduced to Mark Gober's books, which I also think are very, very good to help people in the modern mindset to kind of get up to speed on all this. Mark Gober wrote a beautiful book called the end of upside down thinking. And then more recently, The End of Upside-Down Living. I think both those books are very helpful. Uh, there certainly are some books I would suggest for the, the hardcore uh, scientific mind who really wants to get into this. That would be Ed Kelly's books. Or go to uvadops.org to learn all about the University of Virginia Division of Perceptual Studies. Um, and his books, uh, Ed Kelly's Irreducible Mind, Beyond Physicalism, and uh, most recently, Consciousness Unbound are very powerful, comprehensive, scientific uh, uh, books that really cover this deeply. Um, but, uh, you know, there are many ways to get into it. But most importantly, is not just kind of reading the books and watching the right DVDs and lectures, et cetera, but going in there yourself. The answers lie within us all. And so a form of meditation, and I can highly recommend sacred acoustics with headphones. You can go very, very deep. Uh, and give it a try. Don't just kind of once or twice, but uh, try it multiple times and just let it relax. You look at the uh, uh, teaching videos on sacredacoustics.com that Karen has put together there. There are a lot of very useful tips, all of it free and available to everyone. Um, but I think that's really the key. And once you realize, you know, for example, medical science is known for six decades or more, the power of placebo effect. Placebo effect is nothing more than admitting that a patient's beliefs, attitudes, and thoughts play a tremendous role in their healing. In fact, whether or not they heal is often absolutely dependent on their mental state and their kind of approach to it. That's where that uh, uh, the noetic.org website, uh, you know, spontaneous remission, that database of 3,500 cases uh, is so powerful. And I'll also in that setting recommend the book by uh, Kelly Turner called Radical Remission. She took more than a thousand of the cancer cases from that database uh, and wrote a beautiful book about uh, the nine ways that she discerned that people were able to harvest uh, profound healing well beyond any medical intervention. And six of those nine were deeply spiritual. They had to do with uh, uh, acknowledging your emotions, having a purpose for living, etc. But she goes into all that in a book, Radical Remission, which I can highly recommend. Hmm. But uh, really, the, the uh, 
Uh, once you start realizing the power of mind and placebo effect, as I said, it's just the beginning. You have all those spontaneous remissions. You've got the NDE stories like mine, like Anita Morjani, who cured her advanced lymphoma, like Dr. Mary C. Neal, who uh, completely recovered from an over 30-minute warm water drowning kayaking accident in Chile. I mean, these things just don't happen. That's why when you asked earlier, what's the percentage of chance of recovery? It's way under 1%. It's almost impossible to define because we rarely see cases. But we do see a lot of these cases of near-death experiences with profound healing. This is a clue to all of us. Going within mind, spirit. This is the power of spirit over matter, as my partner Karen often uh, discusses. So uh, it's really about coming to uh, fully appreciate our own power, our ability uh, to uh, influence our health. It's yeah. just the beginning of how we can influence our lives. And uh, it certainly, uh, these practices can give you a lot of kind of peace and contentment and harmony in a world that is full of kind of polarization and kind of disjointed uh, uh, kind of insanity and with our mass media and some of the social media nonsense going on. I mean, it can be a very disturbing world to try and write yourself and ground yourself in. And yet if you take you know, 15, 20 minutes, I try to meditate an hour or two a day. Whatever time you can put aside is a time well spent. Going within mind, of coming into that deep kind of connection with your primordial self, that's the same self you'll come in primordial connection with when you leave your physical body. That's what near-death experiencers have been telling us all along. Uh, but it's really all about um, exploring that consciousness and those capabilities. Uh, and uh, so the sky's the limit. It's time to jump in and all of us can kind of take charge of our lives as we start realizing we're much greater than our physical bodies. And we're much more than just a being who came here birth to death with nothing more. In fact, the evidence for reincarnation is so strong. Uh, I think people would be very foolish to ignore it. Uh, even though we don't all remember our past lives, the reality is uh, those who study past lives, uh, especially in children, will tell you those those memories disappear around age six or seven. So you have to harvest them earlier. And of course, the whole world of transpersonal psychology is all about uh, trying to uh, get back into those past life memories uh, through hypnosis and meditation and other techniques. So even as an adult, of course, we can all still access. It takes more work. Uh, right. But the deep reality is the the literature, the scientific literature, supporting the reality of reincarnation goes far beyond any reasonable doubt. Uh, and once you realize that, you realize you are much bigger than just uh, a being living this life. And also that the challenges and hardships in this life often reflect some of the issues you've faced before. And a much bigger understanding of all of that experience, including past life experience, will help you to resolve it and grow from it transform into the higher being you came here to be in the first place by opening our minds to this investigating and exploring mind uh, going deeply and opening ourselves to let the universe show us more about our own existence that's where we can grow and uh, heal ourselves and healing really just means perform more whole become more of the soul we came here to be it's, it's wonderful it's wonderful my, my oldest daughter she's gonna be five next month and a couple of years ago, we were driving and uh, on a trip somewhere, and she starts to tell us about her other family. And it was amazing 
amazing the details she's telling us about her other family. Yeah. It's just incredible. Um, yes. Those stories are out there literally by the hundreds of millions. And the problem is our society has been so good at suppressing them by not encouraging these children to share their stories, not engaging with them. Yeah. Uh, and it's been a horrible lost opportunity. But I, I hope as we alert the world to the reality of all this, our culture will start to honor reincarnation is absolutely real. It's proven scientifically. Mm -hmm. So what, what do you want? Uh, and then let's, uh, let's run with it. And as this world uh, uh, grows and expands and transforms through this knowledge, it will bring a tremendous amount of peace and harmony. But yeah. as we start to realize we're all truly in this together, yeah. uh, you know, the golden rule is written into the very fabric of the universe. You know, treat others as you would like to be treated. Yeah. Uh, is very common in more than 50% of NDEs with a life review. That's exactly what it, a life review is telling you because you experience those main events of your life uh, as if you're reliving them. And in fact, in more strong fashion than just the first time you pass through it. And you often experience it from others' perspective. That's mm -hmm. the important thing. So the life review is showing us that we're sharing the dream of the one mind, that if we hurt another, we're truly hurting ourselves. Yeah. And that is a deep and profound lesson this world needs to learn. We live in this mad fiction of kind of polarization and false yeah. separation. Yeah. And that is the fault of our culture and its interpretation of materialist science, which falsely believes we're all separate. Quantum informed uh, neuroscience of consciousness in the modern era teaches a very different uh, lesson about consciousness that we're all sharing one mind. That brings up another book that I'd like to suggest yep. by a, a good friend and colleague. It's called One Mind by Larry Dossi, and it's absolutely stunning. A scientific expose that we're sharing consciousness with animals uh, and, and just this whole world is within consciousness. And he makes a very beautiful case of that in his book, The One Mind. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, quick resource to everybody, too, is there's a great series on Netflix called Surviving Death. Yes. And the, the lady you talked about uh, with the kayaking accident, she's, I believe she's in that. Yeah, Mary C. Neal is in that. That's, that's actually based on a book by Leslie Keen. Okay. Uh, and another thing I'll mention for your audience, uh, Karen and I are participating in the contest, and Leslie Keen is one of the judges. Oh. Uh, it's being run by the Bigelow Institute of Consciousness Studies. Uh, people can check that out in Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, and this contest is for the best evidence uh, for the reality of after, uh, you know, survival of the soul after bodily death. And cool. Karen and I are one of 50 uh, teams that are submitting uh, manuscripts for that. It's a 25,000 word essay. <clears throat> and I think the exciting thing is whoever wins this contest, and we know a lot of the people who are involved, whoever wins it is clearly going to be writing an essay. In fact, I, I would say probably most of the essays, if not all of them, will be world-changing quality, wow. uh, the capability to really take this world to the next level. Those essays are due August 1st. Uh, they come, uh, we find winter November 1st, so look out November 1st of 2021. Uh, Bigelow Institute of Consciousness Studies will be announcing their winner, uh, and that essay and those essays that win the top prizes will be distributed. And I think that will be a game changer for this world because these will be very clear presentations of all the evidence irrefutable evidence that supports the eternity of our soul, uh, that we're all in this together, the connection, 
uh, is just a, a profound uh, lesson that comes out of studying this question of life after death. But of course, the deepest results are how do we live this life more fully, not just what happens when we die. Because right. once you get that answer, it has a tremendous impact on how you um, treat yourself and other people in living this life. Mm, beautiful. That is a, a wonderful, wonderful way. Um, incredible. This has been an amazing time together. Thank you so much uh, for the gifts that you're bringing to the whole world here and uh, certainly to our audience. But I just, I love the message that both you and Karen are sharing. I love the difference. As I mentioned, you made in our life and you continue to make in so many others. And it's just, it's the awakening is happening, right? Consciousness is. It absolutely is. There's no question. We'll never go back yeah. to the idiocy of this pure naked materialism or physicalism because it's dead wrong yeah. around consciousness. The only thing any of us truly knows to exist. So yeah, thank you very much for having me on, Ben. Great hey, to be here. My pleasure. Um, I know we talked about sacredacoustics.com. Another resource, I believe, is your own personal website, website part of me, right? Right. EbenAlexander.com. E-B-E-N-Alexander.com. I've got a, a reading list there with more than 100 links, uh, many to, to live papers, et cetera, uh, all categorized. That reading list is very helpful. The blog postings, I think, explain a tremendous amount about this. Um, and there are other links to interviews, to presentations, to conferences. Uh, there's a lot of information on ebenalexander.com. Uh, I encourage people to visit there. And for people who just want to keep up <clears throat> with our work, uh, we're taking a brief summer hiatus. But if you go to unitedinhopeandhealing.com, you'll find a number of resources we make available uh, for people. And there's a set of interviews there that we've been doing for the last year during covid more than 20 uh, interviews with some of the real thought leaders in the world of consciousness studies, experiencers, and other people with a, a deep lesson to share. Uh, so just unitedinhopeandhealing.com, uh, free, just sign up, leave your, um, uh, start exploring the site, because right now, uh, this summer, we're not actively adding to it, but there's a tremendous amount there, and we'll be adding to it and informing people uh, through that, uh, unitedinhopeandhealing.com, when we reinvigorate those activities. Amazing. Amazing. Well, thank you again, everybody. Thanks for being with us today. Wonderful episode. Do us a favor. Hey, make sure to share this, send this right away. As you're listening, send this to somebody else for them to check it out and listen to. Let's get the message out to way more people and uh, helping people grow as we're all came to do, right? It's, it's a wonderful thing. It shared on social media. You can tag myself, Evan, whatever platform that might be. And again, Evan, thank you so much. Wonderful time together. Thank All you. right, Ben. Thanks a lot. Great talking with you. We'll talk yeah. again soon. You bet. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye.